All right, let's open up our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to continue our trek through this great epistle of the Hebrews. And I hope you guys are reading ahead, because I know, you know, you know our next book is going to be the book of Acts, and uh, that's an absolutely amazing, amazing book. I know I said that about this one, and it is, but uh, the book of Acts is going to be great because it is the model of the church. So you guys keep reading ahead. And, uh, and I do want to thank those, uh, before we dive into the text, I want to thank those listening by radio and all the great feedback that we've been getting. And, uh, you know, uh, it, it's rare. I want you to realize that when you call the radio station on which you hear this broadcast, when you hear something beautiful, when you call that radio station, that's a rarity in radio. And so I want to thank those of you listening, those of you who listen faithfully every day and who have been calling the radio station, uh, keep doing it. And more than that, support that radio station. Uh, as you realize, we don't ask for offerings, and I'm not knocking those that do, but we don't do that. So I would encourage you to contribute to the radio station you hear this broadcast on, because uh, they make it available to you. And so they're just trying to bless you. So in turn, bless them. Okay? So let's do this. Let's, let's look at verse 8. This is where we kind of dropped off. I talked a little bit about Noah. And how, you know, he built an ark because he saw what was coming. And I do think it's interesting that, that when he did that, you know, there's three arks mentioned in the Bible, right? You know that? Ark of Noah, the Ark of Moses, which we're going to be talking about. Oh, yeah. And the Ark of the Covenant, which uh, we're, not getting, we're not getting to tonight, but we are going to get to the Ark of Moses. And so it is interesting, too. And then just one little tidbit, I'll throw this one in for free. Uh, because I don't want to dive into the ark thing. But you know, when you go back and read the story of the ark, the coolest thing about that is when you, and especially when you go to Kentucky, and which I haven't done yet because the ark is now there. All right, we all know that. It's, it's full size. But when you see the door, when you see the door, okay? Now, I, I watched the video with Ken Ham, and it's really cool. And he walked up the long ramp, you know, which they envisioned probably was how the animals got in. But, you know, the people on the inside opened and closed the door. That's not what happened. It's not. God shut it. I just, I just always thought that was cool because the Lord, man, you know, that, that's, that's the way he is. You know, it's, it's the Lord, and it's all him, and he's doing it. And we are held by his power. So I, mean, let's just, I didn't want to get off on that, but I just thought that was cool. Look at verse 8 here. He says, by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing whether he went. Now, I gave you a little tidbit of this. You know, this statement that Paul the Apostle, and I believe it's Paul who wrote Hebrews, so I, you know, if you want to be wrong, you can believe something else. But, you know, if you want to be right, you, you'll, you'll agree with me. So, Paul says that, you know, Abraham obeyed. And I, I, I love that because he did. Well, mostly. Mostly. Mostly he did. I, I think it's interesting to me. I mean, and yet, you know, he, he's called the father of all those who walk by faith, yet his own faith was not perfect. I want you to turn with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 12. Let's look at verse 1. And we're going to read just five verses. Just want to kind of get a picture. We're going to jump from there to over to Acts. But right now, let's look at Genesis 12. And let's just read these verses. I'll read them for you. As you follow, he says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, 
And from thy kindred, if you're taking notes, I want you to underline that. Make note of that. He says, from thy kindred. And from thy father's house, make note of that also. Unto the land that I will show thee. I will make with thee a great nation. I will bless thee, and I will make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curse thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 70 and 5 years old when he departed out of Haram. And Abraham took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their substance that they had gathered and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan and into the land of Canaan they came. Compare that with Acts chapter 7, which is interesting. Now just flip over there. Acts chapter 7, we're going to look at verses 2 and 4, through 4. He says, and he said, this is verse 2, Men, brethren, fathers, hearken. The glory of, the, the God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Quran, and said unto him, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, and came into the land which I shall show thee. Then came he out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Quran. And from thence, when his father was dead, he removed him into this land wherein you now dwell. So you see, it's evident from the text, when you read Genesis 12 and, and, and Acts 7, that when God, God called Abraham to go, Abraham first only went halfway. That's a 1,500-mile journey that he was called to go. But he only went halfway. He went to Haran. And had a little lengthy stay there. But eventually, once his father died, according to the scriptures, he went on and he obeyed the Lord. But it was only after his father had died. This story gives a little more light, I think, on an interesting question, or more um, an interesting uh, story by Jesus. And I just want to read this for you. You don't have to turn there. This is in Matthew chapter 8. And a certain disciple... Or excuse me, a certain scribe came and said unto him, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. Of course, he was talking to Jesus. And Jesus said unto him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not anywhere to lay his head. And another of his disciples said unto him, Lord, suffer me to first go and bury my father. But Jesus said unto him, Follow me and let the dead bury their dead. You see, in the, with the Jewish people, okay, it was a common thing for them to say, you know, let me go bury my father. It didn't mean that their father had died. What it meant was that they wanted to go back home and kind of wait till that happened, you know. So often people want to follow Jesus. But it's their cares of this world. It's the things that seemingly present, you know, their obstacles to them, their obligations that stop them from really doing what it is that they really want to do. Abraham did obey, but he first stopped in Haran. For several years he was there before completely fulfilling what the Lord had called him to do. Yet now, centuries later, and this is what I want you to understand, even though the father of all those who walk by faith even though his faith wasn't perfect, 
all these thousands of years later, it's only his faith that God is concerned with. And this is what the Lord points to. And that's good news for you and me. It's great news. Because every one of us sitting here or listening by radio, we have all made our errors in our walk and journey with the Lord. We've all done it. We've all had our stop in Haran. Sometimes for a day. Some of us stopped for a month. Some of us stopped for years, as did Abraham. But those of us who walk in faith will continue in that journey. And we move on. And I thank God that the only thing he wants to see, the only thing he acknowledges, is that work of faith. God is not unrighteous that he would forget your labor of love, is what the scriptures tell us. And he doesn't. He proves it over and over again. This is all. Now, people, now on the other hand, I want to just throw the caveat into it. People, well, people don't forget. Some people have a long memory. Some have a short memory. But I thank God that we're not judged by men. We're not judged by men. There's only one person that counts where you stand with Jesus Christ. That's the only one that it counts. Men will have their judgments, but God has already had his judgment 2,000 years ago when he did it on that cross on Calvary. He judged you then. And he said, if you've put your faith in him, he said, you're mine. You're mine. Those, their sins, as we read it in the last chapter, their sins and their iniquities, I will remember what? No more. He's placed his law in our heart. And now we have that love relationship with him. And I thank God, and as we read these great men and women of, of faith, that this is what God focuses on. He focuses on their faith, not on their not on their mishaps, not on their missteps, and even their sin, which in some of their lives was so evident. Look at verse 9. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob and the, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. It's important to note that Abraham lived as a sojourner. I like that word. I don't, that's why I don't like a lot of the more modern versions. I just don't. I don't like the words that they use. I love sojourner. Love that. It's got a great connotation to it. It's got a great meaning to it. In fact, from the time of his calling, Abraham never owned any piece of property or land other than the little plot of ground that he had that him and Sarah would eventually be buried on. That's all he owned. He never had anything. When you look at it, it says that he dwelt. When you look at the Greek word there, you know, it, it means a resident alien. That's what he was. Abraham was a resident alien. And just so you have a, a thorough understanding of it, let me give you just an example of a sojourner, or more perfectly or more accurately, let me, let, me, let me give you what a sojourner looks like. You can tell a sojourner when you meet one. You can tell a sojourner by the way they talk. You can tell by the way that they dress, by their mannerisms. You can tell by their citizenship, by their entertainment, by the things that they identify with, whether or not they are permanently installed in that culture. You understand what I'm saying? You can tell. I heard an old pastor say one time, it's not good for a Christian to get his green card for this world. You don't want a green card for this world, but we are passing through this world. 
You know, we talked a little bit about stuff last time. I mean, I like stuff. I'm like the rest of you. But I'm not in love with stuff. Recently, I mean, very recently, just the other day, I've, I've got a brother who I love dearly, uh, one of six, and he's like third from the oldest, I think. Retired from the military, spent a long time there. But he, he's found this place in his life now. He's 65 years old, and he's got a, a house in, in Alabama, which he owns, but he really doesn't have any, he, he's kind of like a resident, you know, or alien. I mean, he's a sojourner. And he even told me, he goes, you know, he says, once, once this one guy moves, I'm just, I'm just going to sell it and be rid of it. He says, I just don't care to have anything. He says, I'm happy. You know, so often we think it's the things in this life that's going to make it. This stuff. Now, if I just had a nice house, if I just had a good car, if I just had, and that stuff never satisfies. Oh, it's, you know, it's like, it's like getting a new guitar, you know. Oh, it's nice for a little bit, but eventually you're going to scratch it, you know. Remember one of the first new cars I ever owned. Man, I was, oh, I was out there buffing that thing all the time. I was washing it, you know, every time it got dirt on it because it was black, so it got dirty fast. And I went on vacation one time. It was the first new one I'd had in, oh, years and years and years. And I was just thanking, praising, with my hand out the window, praising God for it, you know. And I was dri driving down south, and this truck went around me. i never forget it. This truck went around me. And it wasn't even an expensive car, but it was new. Brand spanking. It still had the smell in it, you know what I mean? And so I'm praising the Lord. And, and this truck goes around me. It had these rocks on it, and he had a tarp on it. But the next thing you know, it was one of those slow motion things where all of a sudden time just kind of slowed down. And I saw this rock, this pebble, fall out of the back of it. And it hit the highway. One, two, and it's coming right at me. And I'm going, Lord, please. And about the time I was going to say, let it not, it went ping right on my hood. And, of course, went over the car. And I was like, oh, boy. So when I stopped, of course, I had this golf ball size, you know, hole <laughs> Not all the way through, but deep impression in the hood of that brand new car. And it was for Now, here's what I learned from it. Here's what I learned from it. Because there was a lesson in it. Because God's always teaching you something. Now, before that golf ball ping was in it, I told you I washed that thing every day. I only had it a few weeks. I was buffing it and what, you know, doing everything. Just keeping it clean. Because I wanted to be a good steward of what God gave me. You know, I just want to keep it clean. But every time I'd go to Walmart or the grocery store... I was parking in the South 40. You know what I'm saying? Because why? I didn't want anybody to bang into it. Somebody might open their car door. Now, isn't it funny that as soon as I got out at the gas station, looked at that big ping, and it went, bam. All of a sudden, when I got in the car, I had to stop. The next time I stopped the store, I pulled it up. I got in as tight as I could. I didn't even care anymore. I was like, ah, scratch it up, you know. It's like what? Because it's going to rot. It's going to fall apart. Eventually, it's going to get old and deteriorate. And you can't put a lot of things. Don't put stock in stuff. Abraham didn't. Abraham was a sojourner. Did he have things? Oh, yeah. We're not going to get into that story. But he had a lot of stuff. But he didn't cling to it. He didn't love it. He didn't hang on to it. He was a sojourner in this land. It's a great illustration for you and me. They dwelt in tents. I like that. They had no permanent home. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob lived in tents instead of houses. And they could have. They could have had houses, but they didn't. They were looking for a city, a better city, it says, whose foundation, whose builder and maker was God. Look at verse 11. Through faith, 
Also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age. So some of you women who are past age, if you've got hopes, it's, I'm just saying, it's possible. You know it happened here. So, you know, if you really want that. You guys are laughing. I'm being, what? Now? Okay, I'll move on. I was going to crack it. I'll just leave it go. Okay. But when, when she was past age, she, she conceived, delivered of a child when she was past age. Because, why? She judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand, which is by the seashore, innumerable. Huh. Just like her husband Abraham, Sarah, this great woman of faith, was not perfect either in her faith. She wasn't. In Genesis 18, 9 through 15, we're told the story of the messengers that came who delivered unto Abraham, which I think is interesting. I'll throw this one in for free. It's got nothing to do with my notes, but I always like that story. Because we know that one of them really was the Lord. We know one of them was actually Jesus. I won't get into that. But one of the things they did was they killed a calf and he sat down to have dinner. I like that because the Lord, the Lord loves barbecue. You know, and I, I can get with that. You know, he does. And I think it's really cool. One of the interesting things is that they serve butter at that. Which is what? A dairy product. Isn't that strange? Because a Jew today. Uh-uh. That's a big no-no. Because in many kosher families, and there's two Jews in this room tonight, okay? Many kosher families will actually have whole sets of dishes that are set aside for meat and for dairy. And God forbid the two be ever mixed. And they would, like, so that does away with what? Cheeseburgers, which, oh dear. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Come on. You know, Gentiles rejoice because, you know, you, you know, if you're an Orthodox, you can't even have a cheeseburger. But isn't it interesting that here is Abraham sitting there with the Lord himself and these two messengers, and when they break, they, do, they mix it. They mix it. You know, there's a story, and I'm going to throw this. I'll just tell this joke, and I'll, I'll move on. Abraham, of course, you know when he was up on the mountain, he went up to receive the law. And, you know, as, as he, was, it was, he was getting the rest of the law, you know, the rest of the 613, he, Moses, thank you. And um, so Moses was up there. And anyway, the Lord, you know, he, he had a question for the Lord. He said, Lord, you know, you said not to cook a kid in its own mother's milk. And, and the Lord said, yeah, that's right. And he goes, well, why? You know, I just, he said, Moses, just not right. Don't do it. And Moses said, okay, well, let me, let me see if I get this straight then. So what you're saying is that we shouldn't mix meat and dairy. And the Lord said, no, I, that's not what I said. I, I, it just isn't right, Moses. Just don't do it. Okay, Lord. He said, well, let me just, okay, so let me just make sure I got this straight. So then instead of, then probably what we ought to do is have separate dishes for meat and, and for dairy. And the Lord said, no, Moses, you don't cook a kid in its own mother's It just isn't right. And Moses said, okay, Lord, I, I, don't, I don't want to push you, but let me ask one more, one more time. So what you're saying, the Lord said, Moses, do what you want to do. <laughs> you know. And so it's tradition. So, you know, it's, that's the way it was. 
But I do think that's interesting that there they were, Abraham, and sitting there with these messengers. And, and when they broke bread, they did. They had butter there. And it, was, it was really cool. God has always called us to walk by faith, not by law. By grace, not by law. Sarah was a woman of faith. But her faith wasn't perfect, just like her husband's. You know, she gave birth. She actually laughed, as I mentioned last week. She laughed in unbelief in chapter 18. But by, by Genesis 21, she laughs in faith. And even winds up naming her son Isaac, which means laughter. You know. But from the time of 18 to 21, from the time that the promise was given to the time of its fulfillment, hmm, there were some interesting things that happened. You know, I mentioned to you that, the, you know, there was this little kid that came along 13 years before Isaac, whose name was Ishmael. And how did Ishmael come about? Well, let's see. Sarah, because of her fear that God might need a little help keeping the promise, goes to her husband and says, hey, I got this bright idea. <laughs> you know, we got this handmaid. Her name's, you know, Hagar. How about, I mean, right then, you know, men, if your wife ever comes to you and says, hey, I got this brilliant idea, you know, and she starts to go this direction, just, yeah, rebuke her and keep moving. You know, don't, don't give in to that crazy stuff. I mean, you know, and vice versa, ladies. I mean, no, because it happens all the time. We actually got television shows dedicated to that kind of craziness, believe it or not. I think it's called Sister Wives. I think that most ungodly thing I've ever seen in my life, and people sit back and laugh about it. It's disgusting. But anyway, he does it. He goes, oh, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. So, let's see, Sarah suggests adultery, sinning her face, and what happens? Ishmael's born, and the, the trouble in the Middle East that we suffer today is because of that sin, you know? But once again, I only point it out for what reason? Because here in our text, the only thing God is concerned about is their faith. That's all God is focusing on. Once again, Abraham and Sarah Great godly couple. Here they are in the hall of faith. That's all God's concerned with. Now, did they make mistakes? Oh, I think that's a pretty big mistake. Abraham, even before that, remember when he lied to the Pharaoh and said, hey, this is a... I mean, think about that. Wives, how would you think? I mean, if, you know, your, your husband's like, thinks he's going to be in trouble. I'm not saying he goes, hey, just tell him you're my sister. How would that make you feel? I mean... That's kind of crazy. And, 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 of course, you know the story and all the trouble that caused. So, once again, my only point is his faith wasn't perfect at that moment. It wasn't flawless. But here we are thousands of years later. God doesn't even mention it. He only focuses on their faith. And the fact that God said what he said and they believed it. Now, they made a couple detours in, in the road to get there. And some mistakes and sin, but God only focuses on their faith. Because of the faith of Sarah and Abraham, millions of descendants were born. Their faith had a major impact on more lives than they could have ever imagined. In fact, they were told that all the nations of the earth would be blessed because of them. 
all the nations would be blessed. And we know, of course, what the major blessing was, but just as a case in point, in a very secular way, let me give you an illustration. When you look at the list of Nobel Prize winners, the vast majority of them are Jews. Check it out. <laughs> Always has been. It's very interesting to me. So whether it is in a science or any field of study, their contribution to the benefit of mankind is evident. God has blessed the earth through Abraham and Sarah, not just with good science and good medical people and guys that won Nobel Prize, but more importantly, he blessed the world through the one descendant that would come through Abraham, which his name was Jesus Christ. 2,000 years ago, Jesus came, and he was a descendant of Abraham. So he's blessed the world, of course, redeeming all of mankind because of that, but in a very real practical way, in a secular way, he's also blessed the world through the Jewish people just with science and everything else. I mean, as a caveat, think about this. During World War II, many Jewish scientists... Einstein being one of them, had to flee because had he not, Hitler would have had him put to death because he looked at the Jewish people as vermin. All their propaganda films, they portrayed them as rats and rodents, subhuman. And yet a cursory study of just science history would have showed them that the vast majority of all the science that we knew came through the Jewish people. It's just the way God has kept his promise to Abraham and Sarah. All the nations of the earth would be blessed, mainly, though, through Jesus Christ. Look at verse 13. And these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. I have to admit, over the years, just as a side note, when you, you know, because we're talking over and over again about the issue of faith, I've heard some of the strangest teaching on the, on the issue of faith. And yet, he says here in verse 13 that all these descendants, innumerable, all died in faith. And so often today, I was listening to a guy the other day, and why I do that, I don't know. It just, it just bothers me. That where they want you to think that faith is some sort of a power that you can just tap into, you know, and if you just believe enough, you see, you won't be sick or you won't, and it's just not true. You know, the fact is, is that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. A lot of these people went through trials and tribulations, as we're going to see here at, as we get to the end of this chapter. So it's not all rosy for some of them. I mean, some of us have been blessed, and, but you know what? A lot of people have gone through some real turmoil. But these all died having not received the promise. Of course, he's talking about the coming of the Messiah. I think it's extremely important that we as Christians maintain a proper perspective on life and that we keep a loose hold on this earth, reminding ourselves always that we're pilgrims, we're strangers here. You know, we're, this isn't our home. We're just passing through, just as Abraham did. You know, it's just the way we should be. I told you here recently I had a, a visit from my, my brother. And we kind of recounted the story of my sister-in-law. Her name was Soon. Now, I never met Soon personally. Never got to meet her. I got to talk to her a lot on the phone. 
And Soon was just one of those little uh, Korean women, just a, you know, just a really, just a blessing to talk to. Just loved the Lord, had been a Christian for years and years and years. She was a health freak. She, she you know, my brother, of course, since she, uh, uh, I don't know, he, he kind of got into that a little bit, but, but she was the real health nut. She took care of herself. She ate the right stuff. She exercised. And, you know, even in her 50s, she, you wouldn't have guessed it. I mean, she just looked that young. And yet, every time I would talk to her on the phone, she always talked about Jesus. She always talked about the Lord and, and what God was doing. And one day, after exercising and stuff, you know, she had started to get a pain in her stomach. And it wouldn't go away. So, so they, they went to the doctor. And after doing some preliminary tests, they came back and said she had terminal cancer. And because of her fitness... Because of her fitness, she was so fit, she never had any symptoms, no pain, no anything, until the cancer was way out of control. It wasn't until it was so excruciating that it finally registered in her body because she was so healthy otherwise. When she went to the doctor, of course, they told her that, you know, the only thing that they could do for her was to give her massive amounts of chemo which at best, they said, at best, would only prolong her life maybe by days. And she looked at my brother and she says, come on, we're going home. So she picked up her purse and she walked out of there. Now, when they got in the car, this is the part I always loved. Because when they got in that car, she wasn't in despair. She wasn't frowning face. She wasn't depressed. She looked over at my brother and, and being the little Korean woman she was, she threw her, her little hand in the air and she said, Bonsai, I'm going home. And she meant that. She meant it. You know, what an example of a person who just accepts the will of God. She wasn't even that old. She was early 50s, you know, and good health otherwise. You know, took care, did all, did all the right things, didn't smoke, didn't, she didn't do anything that would, you know, be considered a problem and, and to her health. And, but yet when the news was given, she just said, hey, I'm going home. You know, the Lord's calling me home. That's that mindset. That's that sojourning mindset. She really had it. And I, and I was very privileged to get to minister to her for the last couple months of her life over the phone, even though I never physically ever got to really meet her, but I did get to talk to her. And, you know, the funny part, I would call and pray for her, but most of the time she wound up ministering to me, you know. And now, I saw one more story, and I'll tell this one before I go on. Now, this was <clears throat> many years ago, many, many, many years ago, uh, before I pastored uh, Calvary Chapel. I was actually... Uh, attending another church. And one, one Sunday morning, this lady, uh, she was kind of worked with the youth there, and she was just a really nice woman, really loved the Lord. And uh, she got up, and she uh, had kind of gotten the same type of news. And this was in her neck, and she said the doctors had told her it's inoperable, nothing they can do. Um, and she went on to give this beautiful testimony, this beautiful testimony. And she says, you know what, I'm just, I'm willing, I'm just accept what the Lord 
you know, and she says, you know what, I'm just going to beat you home, and, uh, but I just want to, you know, keep pressing on for the Lord until that happens. And I walked out of that Sunday morning. I'm not kidding. I really did. I walked out of there going, man, if that ever, that's the way I want to do it. That's the way I want to do it. No, God, give me the grace to do it that way. Only to have that totally reversed come the next following Sunday. This lady got up, same woman, who had had me so on fire for Christ after hearing her testimony the week before. Because the pastor and a couple of his guys had went to her after they heard that testimony. Well, they were bewildered. They were bewildered. Because these were guys who kind of gave in to this, I'll call it hyper faith, whatever you want to call it. And they kind of went to her house and rebuked her for even saying such a thing. Because you know, they read a couple passages of scriptures, I won't go into it, took them totally out of context and made them applicable to her to the point where she got up and basically recanted her whole testimony and said, no, you know, God, God's got this for me. And I was going, oh, man. Two months later, she was home with the Lord. So everything she professed never happened because her first profession was the one she should have stuck with. But she listened to some bad teaching. And she, you know, listen, you can confess something all you want. It ain't going to make it true. It's the Word of God that's true. The Word of God's true. And when God gives you a promise, hang on to that. Confess that. And God's given us plenty of them in here. But for this particular woman, I just, I always feel bad about that, you know, because it just, it just didn't work out well. So two, two kind of pictures of faith, I guess, is what I'm trying to show you. You know, you had... One woman who just said, hey, you know what? This is what it says. If God wants me to stick around, I'm going to do it. If God doesn't want me to stick around, I'm not going to do it. Why? Because the very hairs of my head are numbered. That's faith. That, that's just trusting in the Lord, gang. And it's just the way we ought to do it. Verse 14, for they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to return. When Sarah and Abraham came to Haran, they could have just, because it was a long journey, they could have just turned around and went back, had their mind been set on that. Kind of like the children of Israel. Remember when they came out of Egypt? They got out there in the middle and, you know, they'd been trudging around for a while. And even though the Lord was taking care of them, they started thinking, you know, we didn't have it too bad back there. And there was a moment of time when if they could have, if they, they would have. They would have went back. But not so with Abraham and Sarah. They could have, but they didn't. Even though they kind of took an extended stay in Haran, you know, they kind of took a little pause. Their, their obedience was delayed. I did a sermon many years ago, and, and I, I'll, I'll give it to you in a nutshell. Can you derail the will of God in your life? No. Can't derail it. Can you delay it? Oh, absolutely. Stop off in Haran. <laughs> you know, stop off in Haran. You can delay it, but you won't derail it. These guys paused. They delayed it, but they never derailed it. 
So when, 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 you know, when his father finally died, when Abraham, then he left. They got up and they kept on moving in the direction that God called them, walking in the obedience to the heavenly call. Verse 16, but now they desire a better country, that is a heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. Jesus said it this way, and I like this. You believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Lo, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will return again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you might be also. What a great promise that is. And God will keep his promise. He's going to do it. He's went to prepare a place for them, but he's, he did it even at this time. They knew that the Lord had prepared a city. Abraham was looking for a city. I'm looking for a city. I mean, I like Newark, but I got to be honest with you, you know? I mean, think about it. I mean, let me put this in perspective for you. Now, I, I'm a literalist. I, I believe the Bible's absolutely literal. I really do. So when it says God created the heavens and earth in six days, I believe it was six days. I just do. So does Ken Ham. So does a lot of other science people. I believe it. Now think about this for a moment. Just listen, you know, Jesus said, lo, I go to prepare a place for you. How long has Jesus been gone? 2,000 years, right? It took God six days to make the heavens and the earth. Six literal days. Jesus has been working on your place for 2,000 years. Compared to the earth and all that's in the heavens, this is a garbage heap compared to what God has prepared for those that love him. Can you imagine that? He said, lo, I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am you might be also. He's been working on heaven. That is that place of dwelling that we will have with him for 2,000 years. Took him six days to create this. And it's pretty magnificent when you really look at it. But compared to what is, what is laid in wait for us, oh my, God, come on. You know, the comparison can't even be made. But Abraham, and they, they looked for that city. And we should too. He said, God was not ashamed to be called their God. I heard it said one time that in this particular verse that the writer says, you know, when the writer says that God's not ashamed to be called their God, that it may indicate that God is ashamed that some call him God. Hmm. And I have to admit sometimes the way people act, I can't say that I would blame him. There have been times in my own life when I felt that he might be ashamed of me because of my position within the body of Christ, you know. People say, well, he's a minister, you know. I thank God that he knows my heart. I thank God is the song we sang. He knows my name. But if I'm being perfectly truthful with you. I am afraid that there have been times that I was. But I know the Lord knows everything about me. And the beauty thing about the sovereignty of God is that he already knew beforehand. Listen, I don't care what you've done in your life. All the craziness that's went on. We've all had our moments of stupidity. 
But when you consider the sovereignty of God, and God knows everything, he knows you before, before and everything that you ever thought, everything you ever did, everything you ever will do, and yet he chose you anyway. He picked you anyway. So we can be blessed in that, and the Lord is so good at that. He's not ashamed to be called our God. Verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. This is great insight. Paul gives us this great story of Abraham offering up Isaac to the Lord. Now the apostle would write in 1 Corinthians 15, just write it down, go back and read it later. I'm going to read it for you. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4. Here's what he said. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also you have received and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Now we know, those of us who study, we understand Paul is referring to the Old Testament prophecies concerning the death of Christ, as, as found in Isaiah 53, where he says that he was numbered with the transgressors. Psalms chapter 22, where it says that his soul was poured out unto death. We know these scriptures prophesied that he would make and be buried, or excuse me, and make his grave with the rich. Those things were all prophesied in the Old Testament. But where exactly in the Old Testament does it talk about Jesus being raised the third day? Well, he says it was in a figure in this verse we just read. Jesus would help us to understand this when he gave us the story of Jonah. And he, you'll find that in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. Don't turn there. I'm going to read it for you. It says, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, I know what some of you are thinking whether you're sitting here or listening by radio. But where in the Old Testament does it speak of his resurrection after three days? Well, for the answer to that, you've really got to go to Genesis chapter 22. And I'm going to read verse 2 for you. And he said, take now thy son. Of course, the Lord was speaking to Abraham. Take now thy son, thine only son. And for those of you who turn to Genesis 22 to make note of the fact that he says, thy only son. God said it. Thy only son, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon the mountains, which I shall tell thee of. Now I have a question for you. Did Abraham have only one son? The answer is obvious, no. He had two. But the Lord never recognizes the son by Hagar, who was named Ishmael and was 13 years older than Isaac. 
God told Abraham before, through Isaac shall thy seed be called. So God did not recognize Abraham's work of his flesh. And he won't recognize yours either. <laughs> Don't try it. It doesn't work. He doesn't recognize it. He only recognized the work of the Spirit. Who was Isaac, the son of promise? Now, I have to admit, this is one of the reasons why Sunday school always bothered me. Now, how many of us went to Sunday school? Now, somewhere in your Sunday school history, because most of us are older, there's a few young'uns. You remember if you ever saw the coloring books or the little books that you see about Abraham and Isaac? Most of the time, it's depicted some old man, 108, holding the hand of some little tiny kid, some eight-year-old boy. Leading him up the mountain with a knife in one hand, you know. And, 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 and really what they're trying to show you is that, you know, Abraham had to give up his most precious possession. But nothing could be further from the truth. At the particular time, Isaac was probably around 27 years old. I want you to get that picture in your head. He was around 27. That means Abraham was around 127 years old. Now, you've got this big, strapping young man in his prime, in his prime, walking with this old man who's about 127. Now, I have to tell you, at any moment, Isaac could have put a stop to the whole situation. I'm pretty sure at 127, Abraham wouldn't have put up much of a fight. Isaac could have simply said, Dad, I don't know. I think dementia's got you. You know what I mean? Uh, we're not going there. Put the knife down, back away from the stones, you know? Uh, he could have. He could have. But he didn't. What we have is this great illustration of a young man in his prime submitting to the will of his father freely, even though he could have stopped it at any time. It is interesting when you go back and read that story that it was three days' journey from Hebron to Mount Moriah. It took three days to make that journey. In the mind of Abraham, according to the scriptures, his son Isaac, the son of promise, was already dead. Why? Because Abraham was absolutely committed to keeping the will of God. And the Lord said, take thy son, thy only son, the son whom thou lovest, and get thee unto a mountain I will show you. We know it would be Mount Moriah. It was three days' journey. And so in the mind of Abraham, he knew that Isaac was as good as dead. But he also knew something else. When they came to Mount Moriah, Abraham said this. You'll find this in Genesis chapter 22, verse 5. And Abraham said unto the young men that went with him, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go up yonder to worship and come again unto you. 
Now, this is an interesting verse in the Hebrew. It employs a grammatical polysyndrome, which is basically a repetition of a word over and over and over again. And in this particular case, it's the word and. And. It's a grammatical structure which indicates continued, deliberate action with absolutely no hesitation. It's a very important structure that he uses here. So when the scripture says, I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you, Abraham is declaring that Isaac is going as a fact to come back. Now think about this, gang. Get this in your heart. You see, Abraham understood God. He understood the Lord and he believed God. And he knew that God had already told him that through Isaac shall thy seed be called. Well, at this particular time, Isaac had never had any children. He hadn't born any children. Because Abraham knew that God always keeps his word. And he believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that if he was to take the life of Isaac, he knew that God not only would, but God would have to raise him from the dead in order to keep his own word, which he promised that the seed would come through Isaac. Abraham knows God. He knew him. So he freely submitted to the will, and he knew exactly what God was going to do. So he spoke with confidence. You guys stay here with the asses. I and the lad are going to go up and worship and we'll be back. He knew it. He knew it. Abraham walked by faith. Abraham believed God in the book of James, it says, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. I told you when we started this, faith and belief are basically synonymous. They're basically synonymous. Abraham, what a great picture. Three days. Jesus said as the Son of Man you know, would be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth as Jonah was three days in the bellies of the whale. What a great illustration of that. When did he rise again? Well, he, he did it because he said, once again, in a picture of Abraham and Isaac. What a great, great picture that is. And I'm going to close with this. It's not in my notes, but I'm going to throw it in. Many years ago, I was helping out a, a young pastor who hadn't really been a minister for very long. And, and he was teaching through Genesis. And, and uh, he told the story of Abraham and Isaac. And he took it up to the point, he, he really didn't get to the meat of it. But he took it up to the point where, you know, Abraham raised a knife. And of course, the, the angel stopped him and said, no, don't do it. You know, and he looks over and he sees a ram caught in the thicket. And his point of the sermon, his only point in the sermon was that God had provided something other than the life of Isaac. I remember waiting on him. And this guy was a lot older than me, even though he was much younger in the Lord. And I waited at the door in the back and I, 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 I told him, I said, uh, hey brother, I said, that's a great story, isn't it? He goes, yeah. I said, did you ever consider did you ever consider that when Abraham 
was up there. He started to sacrifice. The angel stopped. And he looks over and he sees that ram caught in the thing. Because before that, Isaac was the one who said, Father, what's, what's here? And, and where's the sacrifice? You know, what, why, why is there an altar here? Why, why is the sacrifice? Where's it at? What did Abraham say? Abraham, the Lord will provide himself a sacrifice. See, in this young pastor's mind, God had done that with that ram. I said, oh, brother, you missed the heart of that story. You missed the heart of it, and you let the people walk out of here not knowing. I said, brother, when Isaac said, where is the sacrifice? Abraham said, the Lord will provide himself a sacrifice. That was Mount Moriah, brother. And he says, so what? I said, that was where Jerusalem was built. And where that lamb stood was the place called Golgotha. 2,000 years later, God himself in the form of a man would be nailed to a cross for all of mankind. And it was prophesied by Abraham himself. That was the descendant that would come to save all of mankind. That is how the earth was blessed through Abraham and Sarah. That's what that story is about. So when you read, gang, read ahead, read, look into it. Don't miss the meat. Don't miss the meat. It's so powerful. Read ahead. It gets better. Father, we love you, and we thank you for your word, Lord. Father, we uh, are so humbled by it. Father, you couldn't make this stuff up. It couldn't be by power of men. Nobody could write this. Nobody has the foresight and the foreknowledge that you do. Oh, Lord, let your word sink deep into the hearts of your people. Father, give us a word revival that people would be revived back into your word, Lord Father, and that they would catch that flame that would cause us to be burning ministers, Lord Father, for Jesus Christ. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.